this is one industry that can take me anywhere. There's a hotel I can go. So that was what I signed up for. Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you wanna find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey. And you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. Ken, Arjun, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Ken. Morning, guys. How are you? Doing really well. And I was uh, I was joking before recording that I don't do very many uh, polyamorous podcasts with multiple guests at once in multiple locations. So it's always fun. Adds a new flavor to it. And Arjun, what a treat to have you. I am... I know, of course, our audience is uh, familiar with Ken. Uh, Ken and I have recorded multiple episodes together on the show. Um, you can go back and, and look at, I think the most recent one we did was uh, getting out of your own way, which I've heard from a lot of entrepreneurs really hit home with them. And Arjun, I know you and Ken have, have known each other for a long time. And you know, I, you, you work at the Ritz-Carlton. I believe you're the GM of the West in Calgary. You have, man, I was looking at some of your backstory. You've lived in Switzerland, Algeria, uh, United Emirates, Beijing, Kenya, India, Puerto Rico, Calgary. Right now you're in St. Thomas and you're a Star Wars fan. Man, where do I start with you? I don't even know. Maybe give us some of your, uh, your background. How'd you get to where you are now, which is in St. Thomas? Well, I have a huge smile on my face if you could see that, but I know this is podcast. So, but that smile is not because I'm looking over my shoulder right now and I can see a beautiful ocean and a beautiful blue sky day. And this is not to make all those folks jealous who have had snow recently. Um, I've had a privileged um, a journey. I can, I'm humbled every single day, Eric. And, and as Ken knows, only Latin America is the only continent I've not worked in in my 30 years career in the hotel industry. And wow. I was telling the ladies and gentlemen of the Ritz-Carlton St. Thomas here in US Virgin Islands, I've been here since August. I, I, I'm telling them that, uh, reminding them again, that when I signed that contract, it's not just for the brand, which I'm proud of, obviously, and the industry that I signed up for, but I signed that contract because of them. It's about connecting with the folks and the people and traveling the world and trying to make everybody connect and make the world a little bit smaller. That's my humble goal. So yes, it's been quite a ride, but excited. And how long have you, uh, how long have you been with the Ritz brand? So the, the, the Ritz-Carlton I've been since August this year, 2020. I arrived okay. here on the 16th, uh, but I've been with the company 24 years now and uh, 30 years in the industry overall. Wow. Yeah, and the hospitality industry and, you know, the, the hotel industry, I guess. Uh, well, how do you describe it? What, when people ask you what industry you're in, what do you say, Arjun? 
I always start by saying I'm in the people's industry because mm, um, nice. at the end of the day, it's not that in 30 years ago, it's not as we didn't have any choice. We did have choice. And I chose two things. One is to connect with as many people as possible was the inspiration I had from my father. He was a hotelier, actually an army officer turned hotelier. So I saw that inspiration right from there. And the second reason was that I wanted to really travel the world. And uh, honestly, uh, I mean, there are other industries where people can actually travel. Most people are forced to work from home for not the right reasons these days, as you know. But this is one industry that can take me anywhere. There's a hotel I can go. So that was what I signed up for. Where was uh, your father was a, was a soldier? You said he was in the army. What army? So he was in the Indian army back in uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, fighting the war with uh, Pakistan. And then uh, after being a prisoner of war for almost eight months, um, he gave up on that after pressure from the family. And he started from scratch in the hotel business in India, all the way up to vice president of all the Sheratons in India back in the 80s. So you intentionally kind of looked, it sounds like you put a lot of intention behind the occupation and the career that you chose. Uh, you decided you want to work with people and you wanted to travel a lot. When, when did that come into play? When did you decide that? I mean, that's, that's most people just kind of ping pong their way through life, you know, right. going from one opportunity that's presented and then to another, but you've set a lot of intention early on. When did you know that that was the area that you wanted to get into? That's a huge and powerful realization. That's a great question, actually, and for you and for the uh, listeners on the call. Um, you know, it's, it's hilarious. Back in 87, 88, like any father-son talk, um, my father sat me down and said, listen, you have two options right now. My father was always a visionary, so he could see that there's a future with computer. So he said to me, he says, uh, I, can, I can give you two options. One, you can either become like your father, a hotelier, and that's not a bad thing. However, there is also computer science. You can go and study in the US. I'm willing to take a loan and get you there and all that, et cetera. And you could make computers back when you come back to India. So here's the fun part. I, I often share this story with folks who ask me that question that if I was in the computer industry, boy, I would be in a very different world today. That's for sure if I had started back in the late 80s. <laughs> and, I, and, and, and you know, monetary wise, that would have been very good. But here's the thing what I really remind people and myself to humble myself is that your net worth can be calculated into a dollar term, but your network cannot. Your network truly remains priceless. And for me, it was always about the people. And I said to him, I want to become like you. I want to become like you who is making a difference in people's lives. And that's what I want to sign up for. And I would never change that uh, ever in my life. So that's the long and short answer of that one. So as a hotelier, how... In what ways do you affect people's lives? How, how, is those, how are those relationships benefited from you? I think for starters, um, Eric, uh, a little bit about me is that I speak six languages and I'm well, about to learn my seventh one, which is Spanish. The reason I share that, Eric, is because um, my father, being a visionary, he already told me that languages will always bring people, bridge gaps, bridge cultures. So as far as I'm concerned, for me, it's all about making a difference in people's life. And you'll be surprised uh, running a large hotel or small hotel or a large organization or a small organization. Uh, it's, it's often the smallest things that become the biggest problems. And I, I've seen leaders uh, across the globe in different areas get so frustrated about the big things, but they forget that it often starts with the small things. And, and, and I'd like to give you a small uh, example. 
you know, we, uh, the, the hotel here is 180 rooms spread over 15 acre. And that's just the hotel side. We have the residence side, which is 106 more residences and other 15 acres. So it's a 33 acre property. But here's the thing. I've got a beautiful, like any beach resort, you can imagine there is always a beach restaurant. And I've got amazing 11 ladies who work very hard every day. Here's the thing. I, I, I just, it, it took me less than 10 minutes to understand that they don't even have a water station. And I became adamant to get a water station for them as soon as possible. And you have no idea. You can, they can, they may have had other issues. It's a hot day. They're working constantly eight to 10 hours out there in the sun. But long story short, I challenge them on drinking water every day. Just being human to somebody, it makes an incredible impact. We've been beating record dollar uh, budgeted amounts every single day, just because they have water more to drink. Of course, there are many other things that go with it. So that's that's what I'd like to share say on that question of yours. Yeah, great, great insights. And uh, I'm curious too, because Ken, you referred Arjun onto the show. You guys have known each other for a while. What's the origin story with with you guys? Can I let you say that? Um, my general manager at the gym got an email from Arjun's wife when he was moving from. Ontario to Calgary um, that she wanted him to join a gym and she found us uh, and then Stacy spoke with Arjun uh, when he arrived in town and I went over to the hotel and started chatting with him about what he was looking to do and um, <laughs> you know I, I think we had some great workouts together but um, mostly we just formed a really strong friendship within, uh, within our first meeting, I would say. We knew that we were um, empathetic to one another. Uh, there was some serendipity to why we came together. And, um, yeah, we've, we've, you know, we've been good friends, uh, colleagues um, ever since that day. You know, Eric, I just would like to add, it's, um, you know, how we cross so many people every single day. And you cannot possibly have an amazing bond with everyone. It, that's not how life was made. However, back to your question about the hotel industry and why I chose it, that the fact it's a people industry. When you come across people like Ken and, and, and when you get that click, there's almost that, almost that click, a, a plutonic click, I would say. And I had that with uh, Ken. Mind you, don't get me wrong, when he came to the hotel to encourage me to do workout to look after my health more than anything else, he busted my chops, I must admit, really did. Uh, I could have taken off that day, uh, the morning when I started with him at six in the morning. He is persistent like anything, and you would know that. But often, that's exactly what you need in life. You need somebody like that that you can call part of your tribe. I really consider Ken to be part of my tribe somebody I can count on anytime for anything. And I know that all of us, even those who are listening, all of us have somebody like that. But then to be absolutely keeping your emotional intelligence in place and following your gut and seeing who that person is and build with that. I'm, I'm very, very proud of my friendship with Ken and for everything that he has done and continues to do for me. So just wonder yeah. Arjun, have you, uh, have you ever read the book, The Power of Moments by Dan and Chip Heath? No, I have not actually, but I'm taking note of that. You, you need to buy about 50 copies for your staff. Um, there, there's a story in there about the Ritz-Carlton. Um, and I spoke to your leadership team 
many years ago uh, now, um, and, and I talked about um, focusing on excellence and experience, experiential travel, and, um, and I think I related it to them uh, in the sense that they've taught me a lot. That team has taught me a lot, and particularly the Weston Hotel where where you were at back then taught me a lot because my early childhood days, my father would take us to the Weston on Sundays for dinner. And um, I, I learned a lot about hospitality at that time. But in, in the book, Power of Moments, they relate a story about how a young uh, family went to uh, a Ritz-Carlton, and forgive me, I don't remember where it was. Um, and uh, they had a beautiful stay um, and they got on the airplane to go home and the daughter realized that she had left her stuffed toy at the hotel. Yeah. So um, it, it was a very important toy to her. She was upset. And so her father wrote to the hotel asking if they could, if they did happen to find it, um, would they please send it back? They of course wrote back, uh, we found um, the giraffe and we will we'll forward it on shortly. When the giraffe arrived at their home, it came along with a uh, photo album. And the photo album included pictures of the giraffe in the spa, <laughs> the restaurant, by the pool, at the bar. Um, and basically the, the sentiment was, um, sorry for the delay, um, I, I took a few extra days uh, to sit by the pool and enjoy the hospitality of the Ritz-Carlton. Um, but I'm home now and uh, we, we can both share the experience. <laughs> the, the amount of attention it yeah. took to do something like that is spectacular. How simple it was um, and the amount of time it would have taken would have been very small. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I think of as, as the brand, what it stands for. And it's just a really great um, service story. And obviously it created a, a great moment for the family. Totally with you, Ken. And uh, you make a great point with that. The, the Ritz-Carlton way has been legendary forever, ever since it was conceptualized. But here's the thing. I've been only here two months now. I can tell you the people actually live that excellence in their thoughts. So excellence has always been a mindset whether we have actually paid attention to it or not. And here I can tell you, uh, leading these powerful 300 passionate ladies and gentlemen every day, they, I love the way they take ownership. And Eric, this is one of the things that I was most passionate to talk about was the accountability piece. It's how everybody, when they hear a problem, they own the problem and they take the problem to finish. And there's no way a guest should leave unhappy. Then all I did is just bring in my passion and said, no employee should leave unhappy too. And as we closed the hotel down back in August, uh, so I arrived here on the 16th of August uh, on the governor's order because the COVID cases had gone up. We shut the, um, the, the, the hotel down on the 19th. For one month, I worked with my guidance team on fixing the hotel, putting processes in place, cleaning up the landscaping. And then on the 19th of September, finally, we were ready to open. But here's the thing. The brand is the promise and we are the keepers. And that is what has taught me. It instinctively told me I need to treat my ladies and gentlemen, my employees as guests. If I really want them to look after my guests, 
I need them to make them feel what it feels like to be a guest. So on the 17th of, um, of September, I invited all of them with social distancing and physical distancing. I invited them to enjoy the resort. Me and the executive team, we flipped burgers under a, a restaurant and served them just like how they serve everybody. And when I think about servant leadership, that is what this is all about. That one event where they were treated to a pool and a beach and a lunch and a little dinner, they never forget that every single day. There's almost every day there is a word of gratitude. And that is what the brand does. So to Ken's point, that giraffe just didn't go back. They wanted to make sure that they had the little girls feeling at heart. And that only a proper culture can make it happen. So I just wanted to add that. Thanks, Ken, for empowering with that story. Yeah, that's powerful. So, you know, leadership is something that you live every day. Arjun, I mean, with, with every position you've had within, you know, well, everything you've done really. And, you know, I, it gets tiresome to talk about, but it's been such an unusual year in 2020. And we haven't had the same tools available to us that we had in 2019 or even February of this year. So when you look at your role as a leader and uh, especially your role as a servant leader, how have you had to shift what you've done, I guess, tactically, not strategically, or maybe a little bit of that too, but how have you had to change this year? It's been, it's been challenging. And there's no doubt about it. And, you know, first of all, to all those are, who are listening, um, I really want to say this from the bottom of my heart, that it's the voice in your head that you really need to manage, not the fact that whether you got an account or not, did you get that job or not, or whatever is going on in your personal life or your work life. It's actually the voice in your head that you really need to master. And I really mean that in its every sense. You need to master that voice. When I shut the Western Calgary down and I had to send all my passionate, amazing 232 loving team back home, it was the hardest thing. And I'm sure those who are listening, including you both gentlemen, with all the people you speak to and here, everybody's gone through something or that. This is life-changing, no question about it. But I think I, I, I wanted to make sure that I remain uh, as grounded as possible. I was counting my blessings every single morning. Uh, that time when I did not have a hotel under my belt, uh, there are four other family members who rely on me completely uh, on one paycheck. There was lots going on. I will not lie about it. But I found my peace in the voice in my head. Every single morning, I, I got up. I had already taken, I think uh, my wife doesn't know this, so I hope she doesn't hear this podcast, but I took one of her lipsticks and I wrote on the mirror in the bathroom that it's not how bad the thing is, it's how bad you or your mind think the thing is. Mm. And every single morning, I saw that. And then I added another question to that sentence. I wrote there, I will not ask myself a question that I do not deserve to answer. And I guarantee you, every single morning, I woke up very positive. Of course, Ken and I were still in touch as well, which was such a help. Again, it goes back to the tribe. I was talking, the tribe you keep makes a huge difference. And I said, you know what? I've always been servant leadership. It's always been about helping people. What else can I do? So with the help of two other gentlemen that I had made uh, friends with through an association, we created webinar series. And Ken is aware of those. We created a webinar series just to help people. And I was thinking, what do I call it? I wanted to keep it simple. How many times we complicate our life by trying to come up with the name, the word, whatever. I said, you know what? The only way is up. Once you hit rock bottom, and all of us have our different rock bottoms, the only way is only up. And we created these webinars. And all that we did is I, I strategically chose folks to be part of that webinar. 
And deliberately in every webinar, we did not use the word COVID. We did not use the word pandemic. These were people stuck at homes, just listening to one another and powerful stories of how you can get back up there. And I'm very proud of that. And who knew three or four months later, I would have inherited a Ritz-Carlton St. Thomas in my career. Mind you, it was not given to me on a platter. I worked hard for it to get this. So it doesn't come until it doesn't, you don't put it in the input as well. So you got to keep believing. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, I have a follow-up question on that too. So you mentioned, um, and I, I try to write it down, but I may miss it a little bit. Uh, don't ask a question that you don't deserve to answer. Um, go back to that. Can you expand on that a little bit? That, that sounds like a profound thought. Well, if you look at it uh, spiritually, it could be, why is this happening to me? Like, what have I done bad in my life that this is happening to me? That's spiritual. Professionally, what was his or her hidden agenda as to why it's my job that is now made redundant or whatever instead of his or hers? So you can swing this any direction you like. It could be even on a personal basis at the end of the day. Why does she speak like that to me? Or why does this keep happening to me? I truly believe that those are not the right questions to ask. You see, at the end of the day, I truly believe that leaders need to spend a, a time, but very consciously time on building their character. We talk about a lot of uh, leadership lessons and we see these TED Talks and everything. It inspires us for a couple of minutes, but then again, that negative thought bounces back in the head. So I think the most important thing over here that has really worked for me, and I, and I pray people can pick up the pieces from this one, from my suggestion, is that do not ask a question which does not deserve to be answered. It's going to trickle a chain of thoughts, like always happens, and it's going to lead you to not take action where you could have taken action or lead you to take action where you should not take action. And sometimes it's too late, but it's always about the voice in your head. And, 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 you know, just to, just to wrap on this point, when I, when I was challenging the leaders over here and I was challenging them to answer the question, what does servant leadership really mean? And they gave all sorts of answers. There were no wrong answers. But if, if there is one way I summarize servant leadership is that the joy you get in the service of others can never be the same joy as in when you get and I always quote Mary Angelo over here that if you have, then you give. If you've learned, then you teach. Never that never goes away. No, just wanted to share that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Ken, how do you go about mastering the voice in your head? Well, lava softball question at me, Eric. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there you have it. Um you know, look, I, I We've all had negative experiences in our in our life, um, and you know those negative experiences tend to bring up emotional response. Um, and it, it, if you if you have difficulty managing negative situations. Um, they they can have really dire effects on um, on your life because they begin to create um, habits that are counterproductive to what it is you say you want to accomplish. Um, so when I'm faced with negative um, situations, 
I tend to, instead of really thinking about what to do right now, I, I really, I get much more inquisitive um, and, I, and I wanna take a creative approach and respond to it from creativity because oftentimes in those negative moments is that's that's something in the world telling you this is your opportunity because it's so uncomfortable to actually fix something because the negative things that happen in your life usually come because of habits you've already formed in the past um, and you have an opportunity right then and there to create a new habit um, and that's and that's a, a really creative way of looking at um, negative situations. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And there's uh, it, both of what, what you gentlemen are saying reminds me of, and I don't know where this, this came from, otherwise I would definitely quote them, but uh, someone asked a group, you know, who do you talk to most often in the day? And people would say, oh, my spouse or, you know, my best friend, my, uh, my girlfriend, my dog, right? Like, well, no, you talk to yourself the most. You're constantly having a conversation with yourself. And I think that's something that a lot of people actually may not even be aware of. And especially people within the world of business and entrepreneurship and innovation and leadership, uh, we have to be really aware of what we're saying to ourselves because it dictates everything. And uh, it's a powerful thing. And I think, you know, when we talk about and looping what you were saying earlier, Arjun, about you know being a leader, you have to develop great character. I think that's part of it, right? Is is really being able to to stand with yourself. And you know, I, I'd love to when we talk about characters of leadership. You know, that's a big that's a big broad topic. And I'd be curious, you know, if we could break it down a little bit. What is what does that mean to you? Character characters, strong characters of leadership. Um, it's no different than how you nourish yourself. We all know that uh, if you have a deep fried item, it's going to do different things than when you have a, a veggie, a boiled veggie. Hmm. Uh, and let's be clear, all deep fried items in the world are amazing. <laughs> and we know that. <laughs> yeah, they so, are. True. I, <laughs> you know, um, I'd like to answer that question from, a, from an example perspective, live example. Um, so first things first. Um, it took me three days to quickly walk around the hotel, connect with the folks. And that was just those three days between the 16th and the 19th of August to realize that this hotel has all the bones to become the, the best Ritz-Carlton in the world. There's no question about it. It's not a first. This hotel was hotel of the year back in 2015. And now it's been renovated with $100 million invested in it post those two hurricanes that hit it on 2017. I'm so glad we didn't lose anybody, which is awesome. So it took me three days to come up with a slogan saying one in 21. And we made a very special logo for that as well. And that is make this the number one Ritz-Carlton in 2021. That was the vision. Nice. First lesson over here. Keep it really simple, easy to understand, easy to read. I've seen so many vision statements previously of other organizations where we will grow this, we will do that, we will do this. And by the time you've come to the third line, you've forgotten what the first line was. And we... <laughs> So I wanted to keep it really simple. In one line, everybody can read, we're making this the number one Ritz-Carlton in 2021. But then the leader has to focus back again on the voice in the head and a strong character because of experience. You have to also show them the way. So I believe in the power of three. You can cut the elephant in three and still eat it. And that's the bottom line. As I said, first, 
reduce defects. Just by reducing defects and having that as a mindset, it's humbling because you know as a human being, wherever there is a human being, there will be defects. I mean, even, even if the computers are so smart, then why do we have tech support? At the end of the day, we always will need, the goal is to reduce defects. And that, that resonated with the team. The second thing I said to them is simplify process. And I, and I know it sounds very simple, but I said that the leaders are being guided by me that before they point a finger at the employee for something not happened right, it's to point the finger at the process. Because if you can get the process right, then the human being can perform correctly as well. And they loved it. They loved hearing that because it made sense that, you know what, don't point a finger at me because I, you're not giving me the tools or whatever that is. And then third, but not the last but not the least, I said to them, once we have reduced the defect, once we've simplified the process, I said, execute passionately and flawlessly. There should be no reason. And just by telling them that these will be our three guiding principles, it's absolutely nothing short of a miracle how everybody bought into the vision, they understood the message, and they embraced it. I'm very proud to share this with you. This is an internal uh, number. Uh, we had our intent to recommend, which is our internal guest satisfaction score, sitting at 45% uh, prior to the last closing. In the last one and a half month of operation, we are at 80% right now. And I kid you not, that I take great pride because the team has a vision and they have it broken down into measurable steps. So that again comes from a strong character in the sense, listen, it comes from experience. Uh, you know that old saying, right? That good decisions come from bad decisions. But I also reminded the leaders, nothing comes from no decisions. <laughs> I love it. I love That's it. So, so going back on that, to recap that for people who are listening. So, you know, you, you install, and I love the rule, uh, your rule of threes too. I think people... Um, you know, I had Tim Pollard uh, on the podcast recently, who is, you know, master at communications and understanding that, you know, from him, what I gather was architecting a message that, you know, only has a certain amount of points. You want to limit what you're trying to get across and then really make sure you're, you're delivering that message powerfully and effectively. And the rule of three seems to go right along with how to communicate. And that's a strong sign of leadership is you, you know, if you threw up a, a 20 page PowerPoint presentation for your, your team and said, Hey, here's all the initiatives that we're going to be putting into place for 2021. And you're going to lose them. They're never going to remember it. Right. <laughs> They're just not yeah, going to retain it. But what you just said there stuck with me automatically. I didn't even have to write it down, reduce defects, simplify process, execute passionately and flawlessly. Like if you can just keep it to those three things, it's, I mean, I, I don't see a business, and maybe Ken, you can chime in. I don't see a business or organization that would not benefit from those three things. I, I think you could look at one of my favorite brands and say they do this all the time, the exact same three things, and that's Apple. Hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the brands that I admire, uh, Ritz-Carlton, uh, Four Seasons Hotels, um, Yep. Apple, you know, they're, they're, they all stand on the same principle. Yeah. It's powerful. I love it, Arjun. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to write that down and keep it next to my desk um, for, for many reasons. You know, there's, there's one rather small, and I say that uh, facetiously topic that I want to cover with you guys, um, because I think you both know how to, harness the power of this particular quality. And that is the power of vulnerability. 
um, especially in leadership and communications and building relationships, you know, over, you know, uh, the collective, I don't know how many years of, of business experience we have amongst the three of us, but what lessons have you learned in vulnerability and, and, you know, any kind of stories or anecdotes you have about why it's so important, you know, when it comes to leadership and, and, you know, uh, serving your clients. Can you want to go first? Uh, uh, you, you go ahead, Arjun. So, um, I think the word in itself, uh, being vulnerable, is, um, is deceptive. Uh, and often we can Google the meaning of the word, word, but my question to the whole world is, do you understand a word after you Google it first or after you feel it first? Mm. It's no different than the, the chicken come first or the egg. And you've got to start somewhere at the end of the day. And you know that I, I, I love sharing with the world over, doesn't matter which language it is, it always works. I remind the team that, you know, when, when you slip on a banana peel and fall, and I said, I don't want you to experience it to know what I'm saying, don't do it, is when you slip on a banana peel and fall, and if you laugh at yourself the loudest in the room, then you know that no matter what comes at you from anybody else looking at you and everything, you will never feel embarrassed because nice. you have the emotional intelligence of laughing at yourself first. So I asked them, can you resonate with this? And you can imagine Eric and Ken both. Exactly. The unanimous answer is yes in the room. They say, yes, I can, we can relate to that, irrespective of whether we've fallen or not. So why can't that example not be used in business? On my second day here at the Ritz-Carlton, one of our standards is to use the guest's name minimum two times, if not three times in a conversation. The next morning at the lineup, I stood in front of all my leaders. And when it was my turn, I said, I literally, I'm upset with myself. I want to be vulnerable here in front of all of you. And you would have never come to know, but I want to tell you all that yesterday I missed an opportunity to really take the guest's name twice even though I introduced myself and the guests did introduce themselves to me. And first time it was just a little hit, but then I did this a couple of times, very powerfully, but very honestly. And you can sense the, 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 the understanding of the people in the room, irrespective of how strong as a leader you are, they, they, the mood changes in the room and automatically a couple of other leaders started saying about themselves. Yesterday, I missed an opportunity because of this. And yesterday I could have helped my colleague from a lateral support perspective and unfortunately, I could not and I should have done it, etc. And that along just cultivated a cadence of such strong accountability, but more importantly, self-accountability. So for me, the vulnerability piece is just extremely powerful. It's all in the presentation. I hope that answers that question. Yeah, that's great. Ken, what insights do you have on vulnerability? How, how has uh, over your career, your lifetime, how have you learned more and more about it? and how it, do you intentionally utilize it? Do you um, just live it every day, both something in between? How, how is, what is your relationship with vulnerability? Well, I, I think it's important to say where it's, where vulnerability is rooted and that is um, in a willingness to be honest. Mm -hmm. And um, oftentimes those who are not, don't show up at, in a vulnerable state, you will see that are generally probably not always very honest about, you know, the, their experiences. Um, 
you know, I, I, when, when I go through my career and, and think about moments um, that were defining for me and, and moved me in a, in a direction that I was seeking, um, it's always been a vulnerable moment. It's been a moment of, you know, uh, change. And, and it's only when I'm willing to stand up you know, we talked earlier about, you know, we spent a lot of time talking to ourselves um, and and first being honest with myself about what I'm feeling and then being creative in the sense of who will I talk to um, about this? Who will, who will, who will this resonate with? Who will support me? Um, who will challenge me? Um, and I, I use that time to really get clarity on um, just just exactly how I'm feeling, um, and, you know, I, I, because of what I do for a living nowadays, I, I I have a lot of opportunity to talk to people about my my career, and one of the parts of my career that was defining was when I was diagnosed with cancer, um, and you could see the shock on people's faces when I'm describing that experience to them and oftentimes when I'm describing that experience I come to tears and it it's a vulnerable moment for me and I want them to to know and feel that I'm willing to to be in that state with them even though you know we may be just getting to know each other it's a it's a part of my life and and it's still a a painful, vulnerable part of my life. So, you know, I, I don't shy away from those moments if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. And, you know, I, I look at vulnerability as, you know, like you said, honesty, but also the ability to connect with people. I think, uh, when Josh Hillis is, is one of my favorite people within the fitness and nutrition space. And he said something on a podcast years ago that still makes me laugh. He's like, you know, when I look at my clients and I converse with them, I just always keep in mind that I'm probably only better at them in one or two, one or two areas and that's fitness and health. And they're probably better at everything else. Right? They're probably a better parent, probably better with their finances, probably better at whatever else they do. They just assume that they're better at everything else. You kind of have one or two specialties that you're really good at and that's okay. And when you come to that, that noticing or that relationship with yourself and you bring that into the conversations you have, it brings humility. And it brings an ability for people to be at a common ground with you because we're all bad at something. And, you know, we've all had painful moments. And when you're vulnerable with that and you're open with it, people begin to trust you. It's just that simple. You know, I, I have the story that, you know, may, may resonate with, with you guys. I mean, Canon definitely will. Cause I, so I had to go to this training as a CrossFit coach and uh, it was in Arizona and it was some of, you know, the more, um, really into it coaches across the country were there. And at that time I was also following programming from, uh, James Fitzgerald, who was a big name in, in the work. And, and long story short is we had a lunch break. Everybody was going to go work out together and everyone was going to kind of do their own thing at this gym. And my workout for the day that I had to do was 50 handstand pushups for time. And for people who know what that is, handstand pushups, you get up, you do a handstand lean against the wall and you got to bring your head down on the ground. You got to push yourself back up. I was not good at them. 
I refused to do them on my own because I hated them and it was a vulnerable point for me. I didn't even want to talk about it because my ego couldn't handle it. Now I had to go into this room at lunchtime with all these coaches that I was going through the certification program with and embarrass. I had two choices. I could do the workout according to what it was, or I could try to, you know, I could just not do it and choose, you know, something that I was good at to try to impress everybody. Well, I decided to do the workout and I told these people, um, you know, here's my workout. I'm kind of, I'm a little freaked out. So I started and, uh, you know, I barely did one and I was expecting everybody in the room to look at me and be like, this guy calls himself a coach. That was my worst fear. I was like, you know, this guy's, this guy's not legit. And you know what happened? The complete opposite. All of a sudden I had three coaches running over me and be like, okay, change your hands here, do this. And what probably would have taken most of these guys and women, uh, 10 minutes to complete, took me an hour and 20 minutes, but they all stuck there. We were late going back to class, but they waited for me and they cheered me on and I finished. And I was so happy and excited that I was vulnerable in the relationship I now have with all these people. And they all kind of shared, oh yeah, don't worry, man. I'm, I'm terrible at this. And I chose vulnerability that day and I still have relationships now from that moment. And I'm so glad I did. And I think a lot of us are afraid to show those weaknesses. and. I think all three of us are telling you here, it's, it's actually an asset if you do. Eric, thank you for sharing that. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share something on top of that. Um, and, and this happened in Ken's uh, gym and the CrossFit that I joined eventually after spending some time with him. Uh, that even when I was not able to finish an exercise, um, the team could have easily moved on to the next one, but they did not. They stood there. Uh, I was rowing, actually, I remember, and I, I, was, I was really struggling, but they stood there. In fact, one of them even said, come on, Arjun, I'm really feeling hot. So he was near the fan and he was like, you know, it's a really hot day today. Can you pull, pull it a little bit more? You know, the air is really helping. <laughs> you know, there was humor, there was, there was seriousness, there was, uh, you know, really fist pumping and saying, go for it. And that camaraderie is just priceless. But here's what I want to mention with that. You see, one thing is that we focus on culture. So that could be the culture of the CrossFit. But often enough, below the radar, we fail as leaders to see that there is a subculture as well. So the culture can convert the subculture for better or worse, and the vice versa as well, which we don't necessarily see it. So often enough, I would ask, so listen, I'm going to this hotel. Uh, what's the culture of the hotel? That's the kind of question I used to ask, and that's not a bad question to ask. Hmm. But then I would ask specific questions. So tell me, how is the room's team? How is their culture? How's the food and beverage team? How's their culture? So if the people who are listening on the call, irrespective of whether you run a big company, small company, small business, whatever it is, think about these small subcultures. So the example that you just gave, Eric, is, is can easily be argued and said, could it be a subculture which was so positive, even if the main culture of the organization might be a little negative, yeah. the subcultures are positive. And that's when you've got to go after those cells. Those are the good cells of the body. You've got to find them and really multiply and understand why is that subculture so good, even if the organizations is not. So again, it goes back to the right questions that you ask. Yeah. Uh, that's great. It's great insights. And I love looking at that analogy of, you know, there's the whole body and then there's the subcells that are positive that you really want to nurture and grow. And I think within any kind of community or culture, you always want to um, really raise up the behavior and the mindsets that are positive. So everyone else can see that as an example. And uh, that's, that's a key to leadership, I would imagine as well. 
Arjun, I have, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question as we bump up on time, because I, I heard you and Ken do an interview together on Amber Villhauer's uh, segment that she did earlier this year. And you brought up a Star Wars quote. Do you remember that quote? Oh boy. Oh, the, the, may, the, may the force be with you. Oh, no, the quote of the one of the um, Luke Skywalker entering into yes. the bathtub. Yes, I yes. do. Tell us about that quote and why it means so much to you because I'm giddy to hear it. I appreciate that. I think um, that, that, you know, how we all have, uh, we are a summary of a lot of um, experiences we've had from childhood. And some of them us carry it heavier than the others. Some of us, they've just embedded it in their habits, like Ken was talking. So I wanted to quote the moment where uh, Luke Skywalker, the young Luke Skywalker, is getting trained by Jed the, the, the Jedi. Um, and and she, he's, he's going to become a Jedi. But when he's getting trained by Yoda, he asks, Yoda tells him, you've got to go through that dark tunnel and come out from the other side. And Luke Skywalker says, but I'm a little afraid. And he says, that's okay. And then he says, what should I be afraid of inside the tunnel? And I love the reply because that kind of summarizes our conversation about our thoughts in our head. And Yoda says to him, only the demons you take with you inside. And that is so defining for me that moment. I mean, now that I've worked across the globe, I've worked in countries where they don't speak the language and still made incredible bonds that are so lasting. I always go with a very clear slate, open mind. And I will always quote that moment because it's the demons you bring with you that you should fear the most. It is not because of anybody else. So that was the quote in that uh, gathering. I'm so glad you, you caught that one, Eric, but uh, it's a beautiful moment of that movie. And I would see it again and again, just to reinstill that, that positive behavior that it's all in my head. If I can carry it right, I'm taking it with me. That's awesome. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the eighties. So I couldn't pass up on that. I really couldn't. <laughs> um, gentlemen, we have covered uh, mindset and we have covered leadership. We have covered vulnerability. Uh, we have covered so much today. And I think a lot of it is very, very actionable for the, for the listeners. So as we wrap this up, is there any last, I mean, today's recording day for people referencing is November 6th, 2020. Uh, who knows what November 7th will bring this year. Um, we'll probably release this sometime in, in December. Uh, you know, as we wrap up this crazy year, um, any messaging that you'd like our audience to hear and kind of your final thoughts? Um, can I, should I go ahead first? Sure. I think um, we, we seriously need to be reminded, first from a spiritual point of view, that this, Sun will come up tomorrow. Um, it is going to be another day. Um, it's it's just the moment that you need to worry about, and not about what's yesterday or tomorrow. Um, I've I've I shared a quote with my team, then I know that they they took it exactly the way I I intended it, and and the quote has got a minion on it, and you know minions are cute and adorable. Um, and this one had I have the ability to drive people crazy. I don't know if I was born with it or if I learned it, but damn if I'm good at it. <laughs> so you can appreciate the kind of reaction I got from my team because obviously I am a driver. And as leaders, we are drivers. We are born that way. 
but you're only a good leader if people are following you. So I just say that if, if this ball, th th there's so many curveballs that are thrown at so many of us this year, and it's gonna, it, we've not seen rock bottom yet, and there's still things happening, but it's all in the anticipation. You, if you anticipate a curveball is gonna come, you will be ready to meet it exactly where it should be met. So that's what I'll share. I love it. Thank you, Arjun. Ken, how about you? Any final thoughts for today? I think I would get to the uh, end of this year uh, and have one simple statement to myself. I made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, th this pop, pop a bottle of bubbly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, the world is a, a, an interesting, different place these days. And, um, no one knew how to respond. Um, most people were reacting to what was going on. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of lessons that you, that you can, um, draw on now if you've made it through. Um, and, uh, this was a year of, of tremendous growth for some and, um, and, and for others who were in a reactionary mode, a lot of sacrifice and, and suffering. Um, either way, there's lessons to be drawn from everything that you went through. Um, and I would, I would guess by December, everyone's extraordinarily tired of all of the topics that have gone on this year and are ready to, to move on. But before you do, just look back and figure out what is it that you experienced and what can you take away from those experiences into the next uh, 12 months? And um, whether things get better in the world or not, um, I think you can still take a lot away from uh, what you, what you uh, went through this year and, um, and, and improve every day going forward. Awesome. And I think that's pretty universal for any year, right? We just find yeah. uh, exception to 2020 as it's unique. So gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an absolute pleasure. I really enjoyed the conversation and you guys offered so much value to the audience today is uh, I, uh, I'm very grateful. So ladies and gentlemen, Arjun, Chana, Ken and Druko, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Ken. Yeah, thank you. Great. Hey, everybody. This is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, make an introduction, whatever it may be. You can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, 
you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.